February edition of Write on Audio, the podcast for writers everywhere and all who enjoy books, literature and writing. I'm Tiffany Clare and this month on the podcast, we'll be bringing you writing tips from novelist and teacher Danny Rhodes. An interview with the winner of the 2021 Pen to Print Audio Play competition, Kaylin Steed. A showcase from Charlotte Webb and a listener contribution from filmmaker and writer Jonathan Hirons. As always, we start the podcast with inspirational moments. Here's writer Palak Tavari. Hello, my name is Palak Tavari and I'm a writer from London. Inspiration comes to me from many things, be it books, stories, real and real, in my imagination and not, music, mentors, travel, self-realization, self-reflection, all have their moments. But my biggest inspiration comes from those that I love, my family and my friends. Speaking of which, there was a poem that I wrote a while ago called Love, and I would like to share that with you today. In darkness, a glimmer of light. In mind, even if not in sight. In every heart, maybe even in every beat. At every corner and every street. There is love, there is love. His flaw and her ring. The music in life that makes you sing. A smile to cherish, a tear to perish. That is love, that is love. Holding grandmama's hand, hanging onto papa's shoulders rather than stand. Mama's touch on the forehead. Sister's bonhomie, where all worries are shed. It is love, it is love. A friend's shoulder to lean on, sitting alone in the lawn. A finger to lead you, matters not when, where, how or who. All is love. All is love. And here's an inspirational moment from Write On's Ethna Cullen. My first novel was called The Ogress of Reading. And it was about a woman who was a real person from our history who committed the most dreadful crimes. She was what they used to call in Victorian times a baby farmer. And what she would do is she'd take in other people's children. Sometimes she'd except a fee for taking them and adopting them, which was a very easy process just by filling in some paperwork. But instead of nurturing the babies and looking after them, she allowed them to die and she quite often killed them herself by strangulation or by giving them doses of arsenic. And people say to me, what a strange choice it was of a subject to write about and what was my inspiration? But really, my inspiration was twofold. The first thought I had was that she was a woman committing crimes in a squalid little life. She could have been rich and famous. She could have made a fortune, but she didn't. But she was preying on other women. In fact, she was particularly preying on young women who were vulnerable and who would be cast out of society if they were unmarried mothers or not given any help if they couldn't support their babies. So I found her a very interesting character. The other reason I really was drawn towards her was because she was a contemporary of Jack the Ripper. And we know so much about this man who 
also preyed on women, but committed five murders, five horrible murders. And yet we've not heard about, or very few of us have heard about Amelia Dyer. And that was my inspiration, my inspiration to find out more about her and to find ways of exploring her story. The book's called The Ogress of Reading and my name's Ethna Cullen. Subscribing to Write On Audio is easy and will mean that you'll be notified the moment new editions are released. Many podcast apps will deliver new editions directly to your feed. In your favourite podcast app, search for Write On Audio and then look for a button or link that says subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, you need to choose follow to subscribe, just as you would for a musician or band. We'll print more details in the show notes for this podcast, where you will also find links to our contributors and to the online version of Write On magazine. Here's Write On editor Madeline White with her introduction to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Write On Audio, the podcast that celebrates diversity, originality and excellence in writing for and by writers everywhere. My name's Madeline and I'm the editor of the Write On suite of publications. To me, February always feels more like the real beginning of the year. And of course, Write On Print and Digital Magazine has been out in the world for nearly a month now. I very much hope you're enjoying it and indeed the wonderful writing and creative work we've been able to feature on the digital Write On Extra. As ever, you can find all things Write On, including a digital issue 11 at pentaprint.org. A real highlight in February's podcast for me were Danny Rhodes' writing tips as well as the Callie and Steed interview, both of which made me feel uplifted and inspired in my own writing. The March edition of Write on Audio will be aired towards the end of the month. We have lots of exciting content coming up, so please do subscribe by searching for pen to print in your favourite podcast app to hear this exciting edition. Highlights include writing tips from Bloomsbury's Fold, writing guru Lucy Van Smit, and we're featuring an interview with Vivian Archer, owner of a leading independent bookshop in London. The March listener contribution comes from Indian traditionally published novelist Richard Gould, who is commenting on some interesting statistics from the world of self-publishing. As ever, we're actively looking for new contributors to our podcast, with both the listener contributor slot and our inspirational moment open for submissions. Do check out guidance on my editor's introduction on pentaprint.org and get in touch if you have fiction, non-fiction, multimedia, creative pieces or just a short inspirational moment to share. I do hope you enjoy this episode of Write on Audio and look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Madeline. As usual, we'll include submission links so that you can send us your inspirational moments and other writing as part of the show notes for this podcast. This month's writing tips are from novelist and short story writer Danny Rhodes. Danny's debut novel, Asboville, was selected as Waterstone's Paperback of the Year and was adapted for BBC Films. His writing covers multiple genres and themes, and his short story, Toadstone, was shortlisted for the BBC National Short Story Award. My name is Danny Rhodes. I write novels and short stories. Here is a random list of 10 tips that might help you with your writing. On ideas. 1. Seek stories. 
Go for walks. Stop, look, listen. Immerse yourself in your environment. Use the senses. Make observational notes. Use these notes to make your writing richer, to give it texture. Visit places of interest or wild places, places unfamiliar to you. Visit museums. Look at the objects on display. Think about how they might fit into your stories. On developing ideas. 2. Create lists. Create noun lists as suggested by Ray Bradbury. Write an A to Z list in your notebook and populate it with nouns. The aircraft, the ants, the ambulance, the ark, etc. Go through the alphabet. Choose nouns that are personal to you and nouns that inspire. Write prose poems about these nouns and build stories from these foundations. 3. Keep hardback notebooks. Notebooks that will last. Notebooks you can pull down off your shelf for years to come. In that way, your ideas will last forever. On building and layering stories and novels. 4. Build in layers, one on top of the next and the next, like a painter. Follow the process of type, print, edit, with a pencil, repeat. 5. Write in scenes. Write the scene that comes to you. Don't worry about starting a story or novel at the beginning. Let it grow organically. You can put your scenes in sequence later. 6. Having said that, do try to know your ending early in the process. Write the final line or paragraph if you can. Aim for resonance, then write towards that ending. 7. Make mind maps of related words. Sometimes this is called clustering. Use semantic lexical fields or sets to layer imagery and themes in your writing. On discipline. 8. Set yourself time aside each day for writing. If you're struggling with this, try getting up early before work and writing for 30 minutes over breakfast. You're fresh to write and your evening is then yours to relax in. There's no guilt for not writing if you do things that way. Or write late at night before bed. Find out what works best for you. I've adopted both of these approaches at different stages in my writing life. 9. Set targets if you're struggling with momentum. These can be daily, but weekly can be effective. A weekly target gives you the chance to have a day off or two without being too hard on yourself. You need discipline to finish writing projects, but don't be hard on yourself. On reading. 10. Writers must read. Read novels, read poetry, read essays. Develop your own voice, but let it be informed by the works of others. And read books on writing and creativity. Here are some recommendations. Ray Bradbury, Zen in the Art of Writing. A brilliant and incentivizing insight into writing and creativity, told with Bradbury's trademark joy and wonder. Stephen King, On Writing. Don't be put off by King being a horror writer. His memoir of the craft shares tips and ideas for developing your writing in a no-nonsense, easily accessible style. Surely it's worth taking some advice from one of the best-selling writers of all time. Thomas Empson, How to Write a Novel in Six Months. A great little book full of practical strategies for completing all of those unfinished projects. Light the Dark, Writers on Creativity, Inspiration and the Artistic Process, edited by Joe Fasler. This does precisely what it says on the cover. That's my lot.
enjoy and happy writing. Thanks for those tips, Danny. We'll post a link to Danny's website where you can find out more about him and his work in our show notes. In 2021, Pentaprint ran its first ever audio play competition, and amongst a number of very high-quality entries, one drama really stood out. It was called Real Boy, and was written by Glasgow-based novelist and dramatist Caelan Steed. Real Boy was produced by Alternative Stories and broadcast on the podcast just before Christmas. It has since been featured on BBC Radio Scotland and received a good deal of critical acclaim. The 2022 edition of the competition is now open to entries, so we thought it'd be a good time to catch up with Kaylin to hear about being part of the production team that made the audio drama. The interviewer is Chris Gregory. Hi, my name is Kaylin Steed and I am a writer living in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, Real Boy was my first full-length audio play and my debut novel Home will be coming out in January 2023 with Raven Bloomsbury. I, uh, it's a great honour to be asked to um, assist you, Miss Antonia. I needed someone from the reclaim department. Right, of course. Uh, well, it's still an honour, Miss Antonia. Cat. Pardon? Cat. It's my name. Call me Cat. Oh, right. Uh, thanks, Miss Cat. Your name's really Fox? Uh, yeah, my parents really love the X Files, you know? That old show? No. Can I, could I ask why you needed me? Needed someone from Reclaim, I mean. A poppet has come back in. One of my custom models. Operational issue. Oh. We haven't had any custom poppets come back through lately. No. This one didn't go through you. The matter is... Delicate. Right. Delicate. Absolutely. So what kind of model is it? A real boy. Oh, I've worked on those. Is it a batty or a decad? A what? Uh, you know, a batty or... It's what we call the ones who either know their poppets or don't. Like, batties know and decads don't. It's like that film, you know. The, the old film. Don't use those terms. They're unprofessional. Right, yes, of course. I, I usually wouldn't. I was just... Slip of the tongue. Can you tell us a bit about the writing of Real Boy? Was it an idea you'd had before uh, you heard about the pen to print competition? Or did you write it specifically for that competition? Uh, no, I actually wrote it a few years earlier as part of a task we were set when I was doing, I was doing a master's uh, in creative writing, uh, sort of part-time in the evenings. And uh, one of the tasks we were set was to write something in a form you'd never tried before. So if you were a poet, you know, try and write a, a play or a novel or something. Um, and I usually wrote prose. Um, so I decided to do a radio play, um, honestly, because I thought it would take the least amount of time. And I was very, very wrong about that. <laughs> so I didn't start by writing Real Boy. I actually wrote an adaptation of a short story first um, and sent it to a radio producer who very kindly um, gave up some of his precious time to explain why it was terrible and didn't work um, and then was really awful and pointed out lots of really good things like, you know, it's really hard to adapt an existing thing, um, had long, long periods of exposition, um, lots of bits with someone narrating and no actual like things talking or happening. 
Um, and armed with that really good advice, I went back and uh, wrote Real Boy instead as a sort of second attempt um, and then put it in a drawer for about three or four years because I had, you know, I kind of looked for radio competitions, but they're a bit thin on the ground. Um, and I think just after a few years, randomly came across the, the pen to print one and thought, oh, I have an audio play um, sent off, promptly forgot about it. And then after a few months, I think it was almost a year, I heard that it had um, been shortlisted. And then the day before I got married uh, last year, I heard the one. I wanted to talk a little bit about the themes within the story. They seem very relevant and prescient to um, our current or, or near future lives. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what those what those themes are, please? I guess just for me, the main thing is who who do we consider people, and how do we treat the people that we don't consider people in in a kind of wider society. So, you know, who do we consider disposable? Um, and when you put a, a child in the position of being someone that is considered disposable, it, it suddenly seems sort of horrific. But if you open a newspaper, you see that there's lots of groups of people that are are kind of routinely ignored or their humanity is questioned. And I've been thinking about it recently, I think, with the theory about um, remarks a, a comedian's made about gypsy travellers um, and a lot of the responses seem to be down the lines of like whether or not you really think about the the individual dignity and humanity and worth of people, you know, or whether you just lump people into a group and, and think, well, it's fine to say that about them, you know. I want to visit Carlo. Carlo's here. Stop it. Stop it. He's dead. Carlo's dead. He's dead. And you have put this horrible little goblin in his place. Calm down. I want to visit my son. I want to see where they scattered his ashes. I want... <laughs> You're drunk. I can't have it in this house anymore. You have to. We have to. And you have to stop calling him a robot. I scrambled his memory from earlier, but I can't keep doing that. He'll... He'll get ill. Get ill? Ill? It's a machine. You can't tell him that. You can't. Well, it knows anyway, I think. Because of you. It isn't Carlo. How did it feel when you first heard the words of Real Boy spoken by our actors? Oh, surreal. Really surreal. Um, and it was odd because... I was lucky that um, you'd invited me to be very involved in the process. So I, I was privileged to hear like sort of early like takes and things. And he was kind of listening through to the actors and they deliver the lines in different ways. And it's really interesting to hear that process. And it's funny because sometimes they say it and you're like, yes, God, that's exactly how it sounded in my head. That's perfect. And then sometimes they say it and it's not how it sounded in your head. And the initial response is like, oh no, that's wrong. We should do that differently. But then you listen again and you're like, no, actually that's, that's brilliant. That works perfectly. It's just that had never occurred to me. So yeah, in one way, it's like, it's really confirming. It's like something's leapt out of your brain and become embodied. And then in the other way, it's like something you've written is, has been completely differently interpreted. But that's also wonderful to see because it just opens you up to possibilities you hadn't considered. Real Boy's already had a, a couple of adventures um, in its life since, since being out there. Obviously, it got lots and lots of listeners on alternative stories when it came out. Um, it's also had a, a number of listeners somewhere else. Can you can you tell us about that, uh, please? 
Yeah, you made me aware of um, BBC Radio's upload um, feature, which is where you can submit stuff that you have uh, recorded um, to be played on kind of your local station. The BBC Radio Scotland one, um, I submitted uh, Real Boy and like a little synopsis of what it was about and a link to the Alternative Stories podcast. And uh, I think pretty shortly, within like a, a couple of weeks, um, they got back and said, oh, we'd we'd uh, love to play like a little snippet of this on the air. Um, and it went on the afternoon show. And they, uh, I think a lot of the time people upload like music and things. Um, so they were, they seemed quite um happy and uh, surprised in a nice way to to get something a bit different and uh, played a little snippet of it out and lots of people that I know around Scotland who have like radio station radio station on in the background when they're working sort of texted me and went was that your name <laughs> um and then lots of requests for like links and things um to to hear the original play so yeah that was really cool and finally, um, Kayla, do, do you have any advice for writers um, who are planning to enter the 2022 Pen to Print Audio Play competition? Uh, yes, I would strongly suggest having a listen to, if if you're already a seasoned audio play writer, you can ignore all this. But if writing audio plays is new to you, I would suggest looking at the alternative stories, um, kind of past episodes talking about you know, kind of like how to write an audio play, listening to other audio plays to see how it's done. Um, the BBC uh, also has a really useful website that has lots and lots of archived versions of scripts. So you can go and see like, even just the technical stuff of how to format them. You can listen to old uh, scripts um, and make examples of radio plays that have been on the air as well, um, which is a really good resource. Um, and I would strongly recommend you you kind of do your research in that area before diving in. Um, if you are a seasoned uh, audio playwright and you you already know all this, of course, um, I would just, I guess my writing advice is always like, just write what you're interested in. Um, what I was writing seemed like really weird and niche and I wasn't sure it would make any sense or be like interesting to anyone else. But I think if you, if you just try and write what you're interested in, then it will it'll find its audience. Take my hand. Don't be afraid, Carlo. We're going to have so many adventures, you and I. Such adventures and such dreams. Hold on tight. The closing date to enter the Pen to Print Audio Play competition is 5pm on 25th of March. So if you're feeling inspired, please consider entering. We'll post a link in our show notes. This month's showcase is compiled by Charlotte Webb. Charlotte is an artist and illustrator based in Wolverhampton in the West Midlands, whose work has appeared in several books, including Poems to Get Us Through, an isolation anthology aimed at young readers. She's also worked with NHS trusts, local government organisations and homeless charities to share her art. Here's Charlotte's showcase. Hello podcast listeners, my name's Charlotte and I'm an artist, illustrator and writer living in Wolverhampton in the West Midlands. I've been working with pen to print now for several months and I've been very lucky to be involved with many publications, including interviews, debates and general advice. For the month of February, I took on the role of showcase editor. It's been a wonderful experience presenting me with creative inspiration for my artwork and providing me with ideas of how to craft my own future writing. 
It was really difficult to choose just a handful of the wonderful showcases from this month, but each of those I've selected resonated with me in some way. So press pause if you need to get a cuppa, and then sit back and enjoy this wonderful collection of poems and extracts. By now my hands are numb under my gloves, but still I stay, like a mountain, or perhaps like a child with Stockholm. My raincoat has done well, but the parasitic dampness has infiltrated to disturb my skin. But I stay, and I watch, and I think, because that never stops. Clouds burst forth from my lips and icicles hang from my nostrils. Like a film rolling in half speed, I remove my hand from my camera and clench and unclench a fist. My right hand remains on duty, the shutter under its command. Total control. The sun joins me, but like the bars of a prison cell, the trees hold back its joy. But still, in its warmth, I see the first rustle of dead leaves. The doe is here. She wanders over to the base of the tree and looks up. She is still, aware, but does not react when my shutter goes off. The fruit of months of conditioning. Satisfied she won't run, I stop shooting and wait for what I really want. Freedom. Her brown head lowers and her forelegs scrape the ground. And as the walls come down, the prisoners find their way to the light. Their 30 minutes begin now. Abby turned down an alleyway and came out to a covered square. Excuse me, can you help me? I'm looking for... But the woman, clad in a sky-blue jabella with a matching headscarf, just smiled and presented Abby with a gold-flecked red pashmina. Shoff! Shoff! She pressed the scarf into Abby's hands. Oh, uh, no. No, thank you. La... La Chokran. Abby hoped her English accent didn't mangle the Moroccan Arabic too much. She had learnt how to say, no thank you, quickly. Another tourist wandered over, and the vendor left Abby alone. Casting around the souk, Abby looked for someone else willing to help. Uh, Hello, Salam, can you help me? Abby spoke to an elderly man, who grinned toothily at her and nodded his head. I'm looking for the storyteller's souk. Do you know where it is? Um... Hakawati? The old man continued to bob and smile. Uh, you don't know what I just said, do you? Abby pressed a twenty dirham note into his bony hand and gave her own nod and smile. That was kind of you. He will eat well tonight. Abby glanced left and saw a young man pushing a food cart selling small pastries. She watched as he passed a couple down to the old man Catching her eye, he shrugged. They were going stale. Only the best Bastilla sold here. He spoke excellent English without a trace of an accent. He made Abby jump as he sang out his wares loudly, 
another clump of tourists had entered the souk. Bastilla, five dirham, fresh, hot, Bastilla. A woman in a loud, tie-dyed caftan peered at the pastries on the food cart. Are they vegan? she asked. Nom, nom, Bastilla's, best in Marrakesh, five dirham. As the man spoke, he twisted a paper bag into a bowl shape, a small pastry nestled within. Tie-dye paid happily and ambled away. Your English is great. Why the act? asked Abby, intrigued despite herself. The man grinned and pulled out a packet. It was in Arabic, but the pictures told the story. A fat pigeon and a pastilla. Tourists like to buy authentic. Abby couldn't help but grin back. She felt a twinge of guilt for the vegan, but more fool her for trusting a street vendor. I don't suppose you can help me, she asked. Depends. What are you looking for? The man swelled a hand above his head, and Abby's eyes were drawn to the traditional wares hanging in the marketplace. I'm looking for the storyteller's souk. Do you know where it is? Abby couldn't hide the hope in her voice. The man shook his head and began strolling away. Abby hastened to keep up. It's a myth, he said dismissively. An urban legend. But that's just it. Urban legends always have a basis in fact. She ducked under a low-hanging rug display, trying to match the young man's pace as he weaved through stalls and people and waited while he made several more tourist sales, his supply of pastries rapidly diminishing. Maybe your storyteller souk is just a tourist lure. Have you considered that? He asked her. My grandmother said she'd seen it. She gave me this map. Abby fished in the rucksack that she had strapped to her front. Look. The man peered at the old paper, a thoughtful expression on his face. You know what this says? He pointed to some scrawled Arabic in the top left corner of the dog-eared map. It says search with your heart replied Abby. But I'm not sure what that means exactly. A flurry of customers approached, wiping the food cart clean, and the man began dismantling the whole thing. What does your heart want you to do? He asked. In life? Abby sighed heavily. (laughs) Well, I'm a writer. What have you published? Anything I might have seen? The cart was fully folded down now and had somehow become a wooden, portable backpack. Abby huffed at the question. Okay, you got me. I want to be a writer. That's why I came here. This time she swept an arm around her head. For inspiration. Then I think you should listen to your grandmother and follow your heart. Even the loftiest mountains begin on the ground. The man winked and pressed his last pastry into Abby's hands. Startled, she looked down to see what it was, and by the time she looked up again, he had vanished. Abby spent three weeks in Marrakesh. She never found the young man, but everywhere she looked, she saw little stories peppered here and there. A collection of spice-infused, colourful memories that stayed with her for the rest of her life along with her highly successful Moroccan storyteller book series, featuring an enigmatic young man and a lost soul. From Hate to Love, 
by Danny Baxter. I love you. Love you. Then love you. I was lovesick. Now sick of love. Tired of love. Tired love. Tired love? Yes, tired. Love tired. Love going. Pain. Pain of love. Pain from love. Tired of pain? Tired of pain from love. I love tired. No, I hate tired. I hate love. Hate to love. I hate to love. I worship with you on Sunday. Then on Monday, I love you. On Tuesday, you love me. On Wednesday, I'm generous to you. But on Thursday, you abuse me. So, on Friday, I hurt you. On Saturday, I make it up to you. Again, on Sunday, I worship with you. On Monday, I pray for you. On Tuesday, I even cry over you. Yet, on Wednesday, you blatantly cheat me. On Thursday, I blank you. Walk past you. And on Friday... Friday? Can't remember. Can't remember what happened on Friday. Too tired to remember. I hate tired. Love makes me tired. I hate to love. Don't give me love. God, give me hate. Love hurts. Give me hate. I know hate. Hate is easy. What? Hate is hard? How is hate hard? On Sunday, I'll hate to worship with you because you cheated me on Wednesday. But I'll hate to be apart from you because I loved you. So I hate this more. Because I loved, I hate. What? It gets harder. How does hate get harder? When you abuse me while I love you, it hurts me and I hate that. I hate it when it hurts. But I hate it when you're hurt too because I loved you. And I hate it when my hate hurts you. So I hate myself. No, I don't hate myself. I hate my hate. It's the wrong hate. What? My hate is the wrong hate. Which hate? Now I have a headache. A pain in my head. Pain. Tired of pain. What? I have the wrong hate. And I have the wrong love. I hate this. I'm tired of this drain. I hate my love and I hate my hate. Teach me the right love. Show me the right hate. Please. Thank you to Charlotte Webb for sharing that lovely showcase. As part of the showcase, you heard Stay by Shahima Tafada, The Storyteller's Souk by Claire Buss, and From Love to Hate by Danny Baxter. The readers were Sally Walker-Taylor and Chris Gregory. 
Our February listener contribution comes from filmmaker and writer Jonathan Hirons. At the age of 69, Jonathan suffered a stroke which caused aphasia, a condition that affects sufferers' ability to use language and communicate. In Jonathan's contribution, he describes the experience and the ways in which he has used filmmaking to help fellow sufferers. So I was working uh, in London and I'd done some, uh, I'd, I'd had some uh, meetings in the morning and I went out at lunchtime to meet somebody else for lunch. And um, I was feeling okay, um, but during lunch I was feeling a bit strange, to say the least, and I was finding it difficult to, um, to, uh, to find my words. Um, but anyway, I carried on and um, I was feeling a bit odd when I was walking back to the, uh, the office where I was working. And um, when I got back to the office itself, um, we were carried on with our meeting and um, somebody said, uh, can, you, um, can you change this, um, can you change this, this, um, this, this letter? This, that we, we were writing. So I, I tried to change this and I couldn't understand that I couldn't change these words. And, I, and I, then I said, I, I really am feeling really strange now. Um, they took me into A&E. We think you've had a, a stroke. Yeah, when I, was back, when I was back home, I couldn't read or write. As simple as that. I just couldn't form words. In my head I could. But I couldn't remember, for instance, my telephone number. Um, I couldn't say, I couldn't say the name of the road I lived in. So Anne, my wife, um, had a, uh, an idea of um, using flashcards to try and um, bring things back. So she bought uh, a set of uh, flashcards, which um, we worked our way through, starting from pretty basic stuff, really, I suppose. Um, and then gradually moving on to um, larger words. What I couldn't do is, is, um, is, um, is read out loud. I was booked in to get um, speech therapy. That was the next big thing, really, is to get somebody in to have a look at uh, how my speech was going. And I, I had um, a number of sessions, probably about six or, or eight, maybe. Um, and they, the, peop, the, the speech, speech therapists had, you know, a number of drills that they put me through to, to um, pick up on words and numbers and things like that. Recognising words was quite difficult, uh, even then. Over time, it started to come back and... Uh, towards the end of the sessions, it was coming back quite quickly. I was wondering, I was thinking, blind man, wonder if I actually get back to this, to get back to where I was, at all, you know. But but as the speech therapy kicked in, as it were, I was able to do a lot more. So I've I've managed to uh, improve and function at a reasonably uh, high level, um, and I'm quite good te- with technology. And um, it's a useful tool for uh, aphasia sufferers. There are apps for uh, phones and tablets that can help people 
uh, in, improve their communication through reading and writing. And also it helps them connect with the um, outside world. I found a few things uh, on the internet, uh, flashcard apps, for instance. And also uh, a lot of people that I know use um, uh, voice to text and that really does help um, with your writing. My work stopped on day on the day that my had had stroke. I was due to go to um, go to Madrid for a meeting for about two or three days, so that didn't happen. And then basically, all all that work just dried up. When I was about eleven, I borrowed my um, my uncle's cine camera, and I got the filmmaking bug. And um, I've always tried to incorporate filmmaking into my work. And latterly, I used to, I did a lot of films for the EU around um, small businesses and education. And, um, and I also made a, a fiction short called Cast Adrift. I've moved from my working life of as it was to a completely different working life, which is um, to do with filming to be creating creative um, a, a film uh, particularly about this uh, about this particular subject which is aphasia D during my um, during the time when I was sorting myself out um, I met a lot of people who have aphasia themselves and and, uh, and a charity that uh, I'm attached to um, I met a lot of people and it, it, it struck me that Although the, the charity does a lot of things, um, awareness is quite hard for, for them to get um, people aware of what the problem is. If you're in it, that's fine. But if you don't know anybody that's got aphasia, it, you, you don't know what it is and you don't know what, why people have a problem and, and so on. So, so the film, I decided to do this film to um, try and highlight this and... Um, show people that it's not, you know, I can most of the time talk reasonably well so people don't think there's anything wrong with me. And I've, I've, I've spoken to many people um, with aphasia who have the same, in the same situation, who can apparently uh, are, are perfectly fine, but of course they can't read, they can't write, there's lots of things that they can't do. So I wanted to do a film to, to highlight this. So... That's what I've been spending my time on over the last couple of years, getting this sorted out. And I've got some, I got some funding from um, the Tavistock um, to get this um, to get this going, um, which I have done. And I've also uh, raised some money separately to uh, to finish the film off. Um, also, uh, I've done a few small videos, and I did a, uh, um, a music video for the one of the choirs, the um, Aphasia Choir. So I did a video with them, and I also wrote um, a podcast. Um, so I basically I've changed my tack as. Uh, if you want to call it, my working life has changed from that to something more creative, I suppose. About 350,000 people in the UK 
suffer with aphasia, yet few have ever heard of it. Aphasia is a language disorder caused by an injury to the brain, making it difficult to talk, understand, read and write. Second only to cancer and Alzheimer's, it has the largest negative relationship to the quality of life. Yet for many sufferers, it's a hidden disability. Aphasia is a devastating condition, affecting two-thirds of stroke victims of all ages, yet most people have never heard of the term. Aphasia is complicated and difficult to understand. The aim of this film is to shed a light on this condition. How that after rehabilitation and speech therapy, there is a lack of ongoing support. How charities help sufferers reconnect with life successfully. How families cope with the long-term effects. And how young people with aphasia deal with it in surprising ways. Thank you to Jonathan Hirons for this inspiring listener contribution. We'll share a link so that you can find out more about Jonathan and his work as part of our show notes. Write on audio for writers everywhere. We have lots of exciting content coming up on our next editions of Write on Audio. So please subscribe by searching for Pen to Print in your favourite podcast app to hear our March edition, which will include writing tips from Lucy Van Smit, a look into the world of self-publishing with novelist Richard Gold, and our usual range of inspiring moments, interviews and writing advice. We hope you've enjoyed our February podcast. Please send us your listener contributions by email to pentoprint at lbbd.gov.uk and it would be helpful if you could put Write on Submission in your subject line. Thanks for listening to Write on Audio, presented by me, Tiffany Clare, and produced by Alternative Stories for Pen to Print.